Jesus, we do ask you that you'd be here tonight. Lord, we know. We know that we need you. We know that you are the vision that we need, Lord. And when we see you, we see the Father. We see the character of God embodied in you. Lord, give us a fresh vision tonight. Give us a fresh word from you. Would we hear you and be changed? Holy Spirit, be present to do your work in our hearts tonight as we listen to the word that you wrote, a testimony about the Father and the Son. And even in a passage like tonight where God is not mentioned, you are there. When we feel at our darkest, at our greatest loss, like Abraham in this moment, We know that you are present. We have faith like Abraham that you are there. We have faith that you will be faithful to the promise that you've set before us. And even in tragedy, like we're going to see in the passage tonight, you are at work fulfilling the promise you made to Abraham. God, we wait on your promise to each of us the individual promises you've made us, the communal promises you've made us, and the eternal promise you've made that you will one day return and take your bride to be with you. Lord, fulfill that promise soon, we pray, that we might be in your presence, the presence of the eternal God, and dwell with you forever as your people, with you as our God, and you dwelling among us. Lord, give me the words tonight to speak about what you're doing in this passage, about where you are, about the grief that comes in these moments. Lord, we open our hearts to you tonight. We lay them bare before you, knowing that we all have hurt and pain and spots that we may never want to walk into again because they're broken and they're hurting. They're full of grief and misery. Lord, would you touch those pain points Help us to walk back into them so that we might find true healing. That the scars and the scabs of old will be torn away so that fresh healing can happen. So that you can do the work that only you can to suture us back together. Or do that tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name and by your Spirit's power, I pray. Amen. Well, uh, we're continuing on in Genesis tonight. Tonight we'll be finishing up chapter 22 and going through chapter 23. Uh, As I thought about this passage this week, you know, uh, if you know, um, if you've been involved in in our lives recently, you'll know that we just bought a house. So that was kind of big news in the last couple months. So that was significant for us, Monique and I. I've been together for 10 years this month, which is also really strange. Um, But uh, we finally had the chance to buy a house, so it was really significant for us. Um, And it's home. And what's going on in this passage is this idea. I I know I've told you before in this series, I, I think we miss the understanding of the land promise. We miss understanding of how important it is because we don't have the same connections to land in this day. Uh, at least in America, that we have seen through human history. The connection we have to the place called home, our land. And many other parts of the world still do today. We we tend to not to because, you know, we have freedom to to move about. We have 
disposable income that says, hey, we can pick up, move somewhere else. What's so significant about this, though, is, you know, we think about home as this place where we live. Life is had. In the, the two years we've been living in the home, renting it, and now we're, we own it. We've lived so much life together. My kids have grown up there. You know, my, my oldest is, is going to turn eight this year. So, you know, this is a significant portion of their life they've lived in this house. And yet, the thing that we often forget is that home is also the place we think about death. Not just the place we live, it's also the place we die. I remember when my brother was dying uh, and he was in the hospital. Um, That was the one thing he wanted. He kept saying, I just want to make it home. I just want to make it home. Because he wanted to die in his house. There's something significant that we don't attach to that reality. That home is not just the place of life, but it's the place we go to die. Why? Because it's our sanctuary. It's our safe place. It's our home. Tonight I, I entitled this sermon, The Land of Burial. And you know, it's interesting because as we followed the life of Abraham since Genesis 11, when he was first introduced to us in the genealogy, I've told you, I named this series after this, A Land, a Seed, a Blessing. We've been following these three themes through his life. The land promise that God gives him. You will inherit this land. It will be yours. And I'm going to give you a seed. And you're going to have a seed by your wife, Sarah, and, and, and you're going to have descendants that will be as numerous as the, sea, as the sand on the seashore, as the stars in the sky, and I'm going to bless you. And in fact, you're going to be so blessed that you will be a blessing to the nations. Those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. These are the promises to Abraham, and we've been following through this. And I told you last week that Genesis 22, the beginning, the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, the, the time where we think he's going to get sacrificed, that's the climax of the whole story. It looks like the promises are done. If Abraham kills Isaac, what promise is left for him? His seed is dead. Of course, the Lord provides for him. He provides the sacrifice. And I told you, last week that now that we've hit that high point that climax the life of abraham's done like the story doesn't have any more place for him really we've tied up the most important things we've seen the land we've seen the seed we've seen the blessing the promises and the covenants or in the case of blessing in my opinion the lack thereof that we're still waiting for right until we get to the new testament so what are these three chapters left that abraham shows up in what is going on What Abraham is doing is fulfilling his legacy. He's fulfilling what's left for him to do before he goes to die. So in this chapter, Abraham buries his wife. And in chapter 24, he's at death's door, and what does he do? He needs to provide a wife for his son. So he sends his servant to find a bride for his son Isaac. And in 25... Abraham dies. The story's done. Abraham's story has been brought to a conclusion. But like I said, I, I don't want to strip the, the power of these passages either. 
Because even though we're done with Abraham when we hit 22, the, the, the story is basically wrapped up for him. There's still significance in what God is doing in these final moments and what Abraham's experience. We can glean from it, the man of faith, Abraham, the man of faith, what he's experiencing and, and how we can relate to it. And like I said, God's name never shows up in this passage. Which is odd, actually, in Genesis. He's a consistent figure throughout the story. He never shows up in this passage. But it starts like this. We'll finish up 22, and it's giving us an introduction. We're continuing this genealogy from its separate point. It says, Now it came about after these things, after the binding, that it was told Abraham. Abraham's receiving this news, by the way. It was told to him. That means a caravan probably came and brought news to him. It's, it's news. He, he didn't know any of this. It was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcha has also born children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, and Buz, his brother, and Kemuel, the father of Aram, and Chesed, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. These eight Milcha bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Rumah, also bore Teba and Gaham and Tahash and Ma'aka. So we look at this, and again, it's sometimes just a big list of names, but what this is doing is reminding us of the genealogy that we last saw in Genesis 11. A long way down the line. And what's happening is this is introducing, to, uh, introducing us to a major figure that's about to enter the story a chapter from now, which is Rebecca. This is not just randomly inserted. Rebecca is being introduced because she's going to become Isaac's bride in chapter 24. So this is important for us to know. Yeah, Abraham's brother, he's bearing children. And, and, and oddly enough, this is reminding us of God's fulfilled promise because remember, what does Abraham has? Abraham, all he has is Isaac. Now he's had Ishmael and, and they was cast out, but he's had only two children. And look at this. this his brother is like fruitful, at least by the world standards. He has all these kids. He's got a spitfire girl that even makes it on the list. Rebecca, granddaughter, right? Like you got all of these people and yet the hand of God we've seen is not on Nahor the same way it is on Abraham, the man of faith. But it's significant. We're getting introduced to these characters. Okay, chapter 23. Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. This means Abraham's fulfilling his ceremonial duties, right? The, the rituals that go along with death. The things that we might think of like a, you know, a funeral rite or a, a, you know, the lowering of the casket. These ritual things that, that people do with death. Abraham's doing that, but he's also deeply grieved. This is not just uh, fulfilling the rituals. He's grieved by the death of his wife. 
what Abraham first thinks he needs to do after this. He's still in the mourning process. What he needs to do is find her a place to be buried. That's his thought. A place of her own to be buried in. That's what we're going to see he's going to do. But I just want to stop a minute and think about Sarah's life. This has not been an easy life. Literally, the definitive characteristic of of Sarah is what? When we are introduced to her in Genesis 11, it's what? She is barren. And that shame, that stigma that comes with being unable to do what women in that day did, they bore children for their family's name. That shame stuck with her for 90 years. She walked in that. This is a woman who was at times, yes, petty and jealous and spiteful because she was human. Her pain was always on display. But I also think about the great oppression she underwent. Two times taken into a royal harem under Pharaoh and Abimelech. Treated like a slave wife. Her life had not been easy. The joy of her life, the laughter of her life, Yitzhak, finally showed up. The laughing one, Isaac, was there. And then after living life with him for a short season, she died. her. Her life has not been easy. But God's been with her. God has walked even through the moments of terrible, grievous mistake. Like the moment with Hagar. Where she sent Hagar to Abraham to conceive and bear a son for her. That was ended up being a disaster. But God was with all of them. So, Abraham rises from before his dead, and he went and spoke to the sons of Heth. These are the Hittites. Saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. He goes to the people of the land, the people of the land of Canaan, and he says, I need a place to bury my wife. He's very respectful. He's very courteous. The sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. What's interesting here is these people of the land, the land of Canaan, they respect him. They actually seem to think highly of him. And I think it's worth stopping for just a second to say, one thing we often overlook is that true people of faith, people who are really committed to being Christians, that's not just the add-on to their life, it's not just a lifestyle brand. True Christians... There is an odd respect from the world that can often come with that people who are truly people of faith. These people honor Abraham. They can see that God is with him. 
Abimelech even said so. We can see that the Lord is with you in everything you do. And here these Canaanites, they see uh, that Abraham is worthy of honor and, and they have a mutual respect even though they're in two different worlds. Abraham, the foreigner, the immigrant, the sojourner, and the, the Canaanites, the people of the land, the, the pagans, the godless. And yet there's this mutual respect. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land. Again, look at the respect with which Abraham treats them, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me. And approach Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. Now, think about what's happened. They already said, you can bury her in the choicest of our graves. Wherever you want, bury her. Why is Abraham not satisfied? Because it's not his land. They've offered him a space to bury her. But it's not his. It's not his place. What happens if they decide they want to go back on it? What happens to Sarah? I mean, think about it. Even in our day, what happens when a a cemetery goes under and they sell that land? A lot of times the bodies are just dug up again. Moved. Transferred. Abraham wants to secure Sarah's place wants to make sure that she has something that is worthy of honoring her. So he says, no. I can't have you give me something. <laughs> I need to buy it. It's got to be mine. So I, I know a spot. Ephraim, his, his field, his cave. I want that, I want that cave. I want to buy it. Now Ephraim was sitting among the sons of Heth. And Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me, I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people I give it to you. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham's not satisfied, because this is still a gift. It's not Abraham's. It's not going to be his family tomb. This deal could always be backed out of. And Abraham's looking for a way to honor his his dead wife. So Abraham again bowed before the people of the land. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? Bury your dead. So Abraham listened to Ephron. He's heard the price. Now they're doing this in a very gentle way, right? They're, they're not, there's no doubt they're making the deal. But it's a very generous, very respectful deal. 
in which they're responding. Abraham has heard the price that Ephraim's laid out. So he listens and he weighed out 400 shekels of silver, the commercial standard. 400 shekels of silver, by the way, if you're curious, it's anywhere from 1 to 10 shekels was considered a month's wage for an average worker. This is an astronomical sum that he pays for this. 400 shekels. But Abraham's willing to. And we don't have any way to judge what land was worth, per se, whether this was you know overcharging or what. Whatever the case, we know it's a, a vast sum of money he's paying. But he wants to make sure that he owns this land so Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its border were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of his city. He has to make sure everyone hears it because he wants to make sure that it's his and it's noted that it's his. Everyone knows, the elders all know, this has been given to Abraham. Excuse me, this has been bought by Abraham. I want to make that distinction. So after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And so the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. What's significant about this, that's all we have tonight, this passage. But what's significant about this is that God is fulfilling the promise of the land to Abraham. He had the well. He had some water rights so that he could survive. We know that. He bought that in, in twenty, chapter 20, I think. So we know he had some sustenance. But this is the first time he's owned any of the promised land. This is the first time that the land promise is starting to come true. Abraham owns a piece of the land of promise. That's his. It's home. It's his home. Abraham, the man without a country, the man who left his home to come to a land that God told him to go to and had nothing, was there as a stranger and a sojourner and as a wanderer now owns the first piece of the promise in this passage. Why? Because Abraham was moved to buy it because of his love for his wife. That's significant. Even in his grief, God is at work answering the promise. Even in his pain and his suffering, the Lord is at work fulfilling the promise. Abraham, we don't know what was said. This is all the story we get about Sarah's death. We don't know what happened, but we know that this cave, the cave of Machpelah, is very significant. Even today it's very significant. If you know anything about the, the actual site that still exists today, 
It's the second holiest site in Judaism. Only the Temple Mount is more important. This is the cave of the patriarchs, the cave of Machpelah. It's where Abraham is buried with his wife Sarah. It's where Isaac is buried and Rebekah. It's where Jacob and Leah are buried. This is significant. This is their family tomb. This is their possession in the land where they all were buried together. We don't know what Abraham said. We don't know what his eulogy would have been. But it's interesting because the New Testament does kind of give us a eulogy about Sarah. It does talk about her. And we get to the, to me, one of my favorite passages in scriptures of Hebrews 11. And we get this retelling of the Old Testament story. And in particular, Genesis, this retelling of it. Sarah's mention. And it's almost like a New Testament eulogy for her, where it says this, and we remember this about Sarah. Hebrews 11, verse 11, By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Sarah, like the great saints of old, was a woman of faith. She knew that the one who had promised her was true. Even in her grieving laugh, even when she couldn't suppress the laugh of absurdity. Is a woman my age going to have a child? Ha! Even when she couldn't hold the pain and the grief inside before the presence of God Himself before her. She still believed that the one who promised was faithful, that he would answer the promise. In a year's time from then, he did. A year's time later, he did answer the promise and gave her Isaac, and her shame was taken away. All of the grief, all of the pain that had stuck with her and walked with her beside her, her whole life, the Lord removed in her old age. That should be a reminder to us. The Lord is at work till our dying day. We've never reached the end. We've never reached the point where I've got it done. It just doesn't end. We can't say, well, I'm 90 now. The Lord's done His work with me. It's, he can move on to someone else. The Lord's always at work. He's always at work in the lives of of the people of faith. This is one reminder. As Abraham closes down, uh, really closes down his legacy, what's going to be left behind for him in these last couple of chapters, the text dwells here on his pain, on his grief, on his purchasing of the land, and sometimes we can just breeze by these passages and not think much of them. Okay, he bought a cave. Next. But it's in these passages that if we can sit with them, if we can think about them, if we can dwell on them, we actually see the humanness of these people. Not characters. 
these people. These are not characters in a book. These are people who live. And it's in these moments we get to see the humanness of them. It's in these moments we see that our own stories are reflected in them. You know, we're at, like I said, we're at 10 years. We've got newlyweds in the house. We've got, you know, we're about 10 years. We've got people who've been married 20 years. We've got people who've been married 40 years. I think about the weight of losing someone after 100 years of marriage. That's what they had. I can't fathom that can't fathom that, the loss that must be. So he made a place for her. He made a home for her. In the land in which they had no home, in her death, he made them a home. And in it, God was fulfilling the promise of the land. I hope we can all find something in that that we relate to. Whether it's about the grief of death or the power of a good marriage. Whether it's about God feeling distant or recognizing that He's still working on the promises and we feel like we can't see Him. I hope we all have something we can pull from this short passage about the burial. Tyler, I'm going to turn it over to you for some prayer. Well, this uh, is an interesting passage because it's not the typical one that you get a lot of, you know, those super powerful kind of moments from. But just thinking about Abraham's story and and even this passage, and talk or talking about the promise and the faithfulness um, of God, and I mean, you know, him giving Abraham this, this land and, and that kind of thing. Um, and relating that to my life, I think about this church and, I mean, we've been around for about a year and a half now and we've seen a lot of answers to prayers and a lot of faithfulness and all that, which is great and, you know, what more could you ask for? But sometimes um, I kind of catch myself Forgetting to forgetting to listen to, to God. I mean, it's easy to pray. It's easy to ask for things. It's easy to give all these prayer requests and stuff. But for me, it's hard sometimes to remember to listen to what He has to say. And He is He is faithful. I mean, He's been faithful to us a, a lot. And um, so, what I wanted to do tonight, uh, Aaron, I don't know if you would be willing to play a little bit. Um, I wanted to take some time to sit and listen um, to what God has to say to us. and um, So I wanted to, to just take a, a minute or two um, just in your own hearts and your own minds. Just, I mean, you can, you, you can pray or you can, you can uh, you know, be thankful to God or whatever, but I, I want us to just listen for a couple minutes and see what he has to say to us. Um, 
and then I will close in prayer after that and um, 